We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts, and today it is just me. Um, Now that I'm working with Blue Wire, and because I did receive such a good response with the Patreon, I'm going to be doing uh, more episodes each week, like I said. And to do that, I got to do some solo episodes. So you'll find those after every game, but I'm also going to do solo pods from time to time on specific topics I'm interested in. And, and today the topic to dive into, um, or that I wanted to dive into, is the Wolves' front court. I know I talked to Jace about that uh, a little bit last week, but on Monday I got to ask Ryan Saunders about you know, what, the, what he thinks the front court will look like around Cat, and I, I thought his, his response was pretty illuminating, um, kind of you know the, the breadcrumbs to what this will, you know, will end up looking like this season. So I'll play that for you in a sec, but... Um, and then there's also some audio from Josh Okoge, hint, hint. Um, yeah, and we'll just get into the topic a little bit. But for those of you who are thinking, oh, more power forward talk, let me let me defend my obsession here a little bit. Um, I, I really do think this topic is interesting for kind of multiple weird layered reasons. Um, I think if you think about this Timberwolves team, defense is obviously the team's biggest issue. And most specifically, that issue shows itself in the front court, right? Inherently, that makes whatever they do at power forward or behind Cat at backup center 
you know, pretty damn important. To me, it's it's just it's fascinating how much Gerson Rosas has, you know, zagged away from the traditional power forward zig. I'm I'm not even saying that I, I agree with the tactic of prioritizing, you know, shooting and speed at the position or whatever you want to call it. I, I just really do find it interesting that it has been his priority, you know, from trading Dario Saric back on draft night uh, a, a year ago to starting Robert Covington at power forward to never really playing two bigs together at all. And then to, you know, the Towns and Covington pairing not really working and then trading Covington for what brought you back Juan show to not really getting any power forwards this offseason. It, it's just, it's fascinating to me because it's such a bold move. And, and it's, you know, it's not one I'm trying to empower or indict. I'm just, I'm just interested in tracking it. So I, I did ask Saunders about what he hopes to get from that position. And, and I think that's a good place to, to start. So I asked him both about um, the power forwards and, and what's around, what's going to be behind Cat. And this is what he had to say. Hey, Ryan, um, thinking about uh, the, the bigs next to Cat on, on this team, what are, what are you hoping for um, in terms of insulating him, ne- playing next to him and behind him? What, what are you, where are you hoping to get production in that sort of way? Yeah. Um, you know, the cliched answer is it's going to be a competitive camp. And, and, but I mean that. And with, with a competitive camp, though, we're, we're going to be able to find, uh, you know, some different pieces for Cat in, in that other big position. And it, it could be somebody who's, uh, you know, in a Jake Lehman, in a Wancho, in a Josh Okoji. Uh, you know, hey, Josh Okoji's effective height with his wingspan uh, is six foot eight. So you can look at, you know, some of those swingmen uh, in that position. But then you look at other guys you got. You got Ed Davis, you got Jared Vanderbilt, you got Nas Reed. Um, you know, we got a number of other individuals who can step in into those types of roles. So it's just seeing how how these guys play together. And uh, that's what we're going to be evaluating with camp. But, you know, we need, we need guys to come in with a defensive mindset, especially at that position. Uh, cap provides a unique um, opportunity for teams, uh, for us, to play him on the inside, play him on the outside. So with that, you know, you want a big who's a, who's a capable finisher. You want somebody who's a capable rebounder. And uh, like I said, these guys will be battling. So, yeah, I think that that answer is our first little breadcrumb of how this begins to shake out for the season. I mean, you 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 could take that how you will. I take that as Saunders listing off Jake Lehman, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Josh Kogi as options at the four. And then Ed Davis, Jared Vanderbilt, and Nas Reed as the options at the five. Obviously, you know, Kogi is the name who pops here. He, Josh is 6'4". Josh is and, and yeah, Saunders says his effective height is, is six, eight. So maybe we should go into, you know, what that means. Um, I, I did some digging into what that, what effective height is. And it's basically just a combination of height, wingspan and, and standing reach. So with a Kogi, a Kogi measured at the combine, um, back in 2018, six foot three without shoes on six, four and a half in shoes, but he had a seven foot wingspan. And then he also had an eight foot, six inch standing reach. So compare that to Jarrett Culver, who, who measured 6'7 in shoes at his combine in 2019. He had a 6'9 half wingspan, but Culver's standing reach is only 8'4 and a half, an inch and a half shorter than a Kogi's. Josh's body is just kind of built different. But it, it's, it's not just – if a Kogi's going to play power forward, it's not just about his measurements. And I, if, if it happens at all, it's, it's about a Kogi being able to handle the job physically. You know, Josh is strong. You know, can he defend Anthony Davis? Of course not. 
But you know the, the Wolves play the Detroit Pistons in the season opener. Can he? Can you get away with Josh Okogie on Jeremy Grant? Of course you can. Can he guard Blake Griffin? Probably not. And and I think that's the point. It's not that that Josh Okogie is becoming a quote unquote power forward. It's that he can play some power forward. It's a role. One of the roles he'll play, and and one that I think he could situationally be passable at defensively. And. And for me, offensively, I think it could really help him. I mean, we've talked about this before. In a shift away, I think it's really important to shift Josh Okogie away from the above the break three area where he just doesn't make those shots at a high clip, even if they're open. If you slide him over into, into the corner, into the dunker spot, it's, it's an easier place to cut from, and it's an easier place to make threes. The threes are shorter from there. It's really it's, it's, it's like P.J. Tucker. And, you know, after after Ryan talked about this, um, Josh was the the player we got to talk to on Monday, and and some of the other reporters asked Josh about this because it is it is daunting the idea of a six foot four guy you know playing power forward. But but I thought uh, you know I thought I thought Josh just kind of took it in stride and really he just said the quiet things out loud. He he literally called it the PJ Tucker role. Here's what Josh had to say. And then Ryan said yesterday that um, you, they, they will give you look just with your wingspan and, and your effective height, as he calls it. He, he can see some possibilities of you playing the four a little bit. Um, what do you think about that and how would that be different at all from some of the other things that you've done? To be honest, I, when I was younger, I used to play the five. I started off basketball playing center, so there's nothing different for me. I don't make a decision going to a P.J. Tucker role or something. I don't know. <laughs> played a five. Until Cat, Cat, until Cat, Cat played a four, I played a five. <laughs> All right. So what, what is the P.J. Tucker role? Let's, let's try and nail that down. I mean, it, it's fairly intuitive defensively, right, in Houston. You're, you're basically boxing up a weight class. Your, your opponent has length and strength on you, and you have to make up for that by, you know, kind of playing even lower to the ground so you can't be as easily moved. And really – I mean, you've, you've watched P.J. Tucker play. you just got to fight. That, that's the job. Um, the, the interesting part, I think, for me, again, as I was kind of getting to before, is, is the idea of a Kogi offensively in that role. Because it, it's not just – the role is not just spotting up in the corner. If you watch P.J. Tucker, it, it's, about, it's about playing in transition in that system. It's about being a cutter. It's about being an offensive rebounder. And it's about being a passable pick-and-roll screener. P.J. Tucker did all those things in Houston. Okogi is better at that stuff than he is spacing on the perimeter. Like, we, we need to acknowledge that. Those are his strengths. Spacing in the perimeter and shooting is a weakness. So is taking guys off the dribble from the perimeter. He's that That's not Josh's strength, and I don't really see that developing into one. But I do. I have no doubt that Okogi can play in transition, that he can be a cutter out of the corner, that he can be an offensive rebounder. I mean, yes, he's going to need to learn the screen game, but really, this isn't like this isn't high level screen and roll stuff he's going to need to do. It's his job, or what if you watch Tucker's job in Houston? It's about getting in the way. He doesn't have to be some dynamic role threat for Josh. He's just got to buy Delo a step with a screen. I, I don't know. I, I I think it makes sense for a Kogi. Now, will we see this a ton? No, I don't think so, and I don't think we'll see it a ton of early in the season. The Wolves' first four games are against teams that go big. The Pistons on opening night, the Jazz the next game, then the Lakers and the Clippers. You know, the Pistons, they're going to start Mason Plumlee and Blake Griffin. That's big. 
the Jazz, Rudy Gobert, maybe Derek Favors at the four. The Lakers have Marcus Saul to, to replace JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard at center. And then you got Anthony Davis at the four. The Clippers are huge too. Zubats at the five, Serge Ibaka at the four. But it's not just the starters who play. And I think if, if Josh does get into the game, it does get minutes in this four role, it will probably be when teams are going smaller. I mean, the Pistons are going to play Jeremy Grant at the four. Josh Okogin can guard Jeremy Grant. The Jazz will play Bogdanovich at the four. Josh has definitely guarded Bogdanovich before. The Lakers will probably go Kuzma some, right? Like that, I don't. That's not an issue. He's out on the perimeter. Yeah, the Clippers will bring in Marcus Morris, and he's he's big. He's going to fight, but he's not going to post you up. This isn't like this isn't going to be like a mouse in the house situation. I, my point is just that there will be times against just about every opponent where Saunders can get funky at the four and go small if he wants. All coaches can do that. This is the the way the NBA is. A lot of teams, even if they go big. They don't necessarily take advantage of that size. And if a team is going to try and take advantage of it, well, then you pull, then you don't roll with a Kogi that night in that role. And, and, you, and, and you go with something else. But really, it's not like the Wolves' other options at the four all-stars. You're, you're, you're trying to pile something together here. You're trying to find bit rolls. You're trying to, find, you're trying to win something on the margins on your weakest position. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see it. Moving on to those other guys, the more traditional power forwards that Saunders names, but named, but guys that they're still not really traditional power forwards, Jake Lehman and Wancho Hernangomez, kind of. Let, let's start with Lehman. Not because he's, I think he's going to start, but because, you know, Saunders said his name first in that clip. And you know, Lehman's actually played with Cap before, so we have something to go off of. Last year, um, in the 23 games that Jake Lehman played, he played. 38% of his minutes, according to cleaning the glass, at power forward, 51% at small forward, and 11 at shooting guard. Now, maybe that sounds you know kind of surprising, but that's actually what he did in Portland as well the year before, where he played 30% of his minutes at power forward and 61% at small forward. So, he again, he's just kind of the type of player that teams who do – take that smaller risk, all willing to play at power four. The real question I don't think with, with Lehman is how does he connect to Cat, right? That's the question with all these guys. The seemingly, you know, strong Lehman as a four argument is stats-based. But it's also kind of, we've talked about this a little bit, it's kind of a strong man argument. I mean, Lehman played 198 minutes with Cat last season. That's not a lot. It was the eighth most of anyone on the team last year. And, you know, in those minutes, the Wolves outscored opponents by 6.3 points per 100 possession when when Lehman was out there with Cat. The only other positive net rating on the whole team with Cat was Culver, who was plus one and a half in 568 minutes. Everyone else was negative. So Lehman sticks out big time that way. That's good. It was good. Those 198 minutes were winning basketball. The hole to poke, though, is that all 198 of those Lehman and Towns minutes came in the first 14 games of the season. Then Lehman got hurt. And by the time Lehman got back, Cat was hurt. So it's not just a small sample. It's just not really illustrative of last season as a whole at all. I mean, if we just isolate for those first 14 Lehman games, then a lot of guys had positive net ratings when they played with Cat, just like Lehman did. Rocco was plus 3.4, Wiggins plus 2, Teague plus 1.7. Culver was plus 
a Kogi was plus 8.6, and those were all in you know, a similar amount of minutes. The, the team was just good then. They were 8-6 and six in those fir- first 14 games, and Cat only played in 12 of them because he got suspended for two games. Remember, <laughs> remember when Cat fought with Joel Embiid and got suspended? That feels so long ago. But so, so most, most of those guys had nice numbers at that time of the year. Most guys just also kept playing through the bad parts of the year when Lehman was on the shelf. His minutes froze, and Covington's got wrecked. Wiggins has got wrecked. All Everyone's else got wrecked. What, what would have happened with Lehman? I, I doubt it would have stayed massively positive as it was. Now, I also don't think it's an aberration. I mean, Lehman did look good in those games with Cat. He gets credit for the, the team gets credit for those games they counted. And, and, you know, hopefully this year, this coming year, is more like the beginning of last season and looks more like that than it did in the middle of the season when they went on those losing streaks or it did at the end of the season when it was all just kind of a mess. It's, it's fair to assume some of that. And, and I think with Lehman, we, we can, you know, we can glean that that's a possibility, that it's going to work again next to Cat. Also, he was really successful against Yusuf Nurkic the year before. That's part of the reason he's on this team. It sounds kind of weird to say, but in a lot of ways, like Nurkic is a cat sort of facsimile there. Obviously, there's the David Vanterpool connection. There is, there is reason to believe that Jake Lehman could work, maybe even be the best option at power forward. I wouldn't say so, but there, there's a reason, given the alternatives, to be optimistic about a cat and Lehman pairing, for sure. But I'm just saying, don't expect it to be leaps and bounds better than the pack in terms of numbers, like it was last year with Cat. The other power forward, Saunders named, who I think we all expect to be the starting power forward, was Juancho Hernangobas. However, it's worth noting, Saunders said um, today, Monday, that Juancho is still going through the COVID protocols, and because of that, has not been able to participate in practice yet. So if you're trying to make the case for why Jake Lehman starts day one, then, you know, Wancho still being out and, you know, he's, Wancho was gone over the, the summer for that middle, you know, fall training camp because he was filming his movie with Adam Sandler. I mean, that's probably the case to make, right? Like, Wancho hasn't been immersed in this. From what I've been able to gather, the expectation should be that Wancho is, is the starting four. He'll get his reps in before, I mean, maybe not before the first preseason game. That might be rough. But the season starts on December 23rd. I think we can assume that's Wancho's role, and he gets, you know, the bulk of the minutes there next to Cat. We don't really have a lot to draw off of, of what that pairing is. It's useless, actually. I mean, they played two games together, Cat and Wancho, and they shared the floor for a total of 37 minutes. So we don't have anything there. What, what we do have is we have the film of what Wancho looked like in this, you know, in this system. And I went back and, and watched, watched his Minnesota Synergy film, and, you know, it – you guys all remember what it was. I mean, the offense, it was, it was pretty simple. It's, he's both a real shooting threat and he's also a real liability finishing around the basket that, you know, that's, that's Wancho's yin and yang, or it has been thus far shooting. I I mean, I, I can't undersell how, how good I think the shooting is. I mean, he, he moves his feet really well along the perimeter, you know, sliding himself into position for open catch, open catch and shoot threes. And he also has a quick release. That's going to be, that is going to be really valuable around cat post-ups. He's obviously, Wancho's obviously a better catch-and-shoot option there than Culver and Akogi and Graham were last season. 
But I also think it could be, you know, noticeably better than that. I think it could be better than Robert Covington was in that shooting role. He he moves to shooting possessions better than Covington. He making those looks cleaner. Covington took a lot of contested threes in the Wolves system. And part of that was his fault. I, I just I mean, for me, I also just think Wancho's straight up a better shooter than Covington. He's not he's not an overall better player. I'm not saying that. The team would be better if Covington was on it. I agree with that. But a better shooter? I I, I think so. I will say, you know, going back and watching, there was some inconsistency to Wancho's shooting stroke that showed up on film. I think we maybe cover up some of that because at the end of the day, 42% of the threes he shot in Minnesota went in. But if you watching him shoot, and again, I think he's a good shooter, I just do see why his three-point percentage has maybe been, not maybe, it has been all over the place, you know, year over year. He shot 41% as a rookie, 28% his second year, 37% his third year. And then last year when he was in Denver, he only made 25% of his threes there. And then he got to Minnesota and he made 42% of them. He's been a volatile shooter. I think part of that is due to he gets in mechanical funks or he gets mechanically on. Um, you know, we'll see if he can iron that out. As far as the finishing goes, I think that's – I think we can bank on the shooting to some degree. But, but you know, what, what else can Wancho do for you offensively? And, you know, he, he does – he did get the whistle when you drive to the lane a lot. You know, he'd get fouled going to the basket, so that helps. But really, you just you, you watch the film on Wancho and his his drives, his his ability to score in the paint. It just it just lacks force, and and you know that's an issue to some degree. I, you know how important is that when playing your own cat? Yeah, a cat's going to be the post up big, so the more important thing is going to be be space in the floor and being able to shoot. But Wancho does need to be an effective cutter and finisher, like Saunders said in that clip, capable rebounder and a capable finisher. And, and for Wancho, even though he can shoot, those are, those are question marks. Before we get to the centers, let's take a quick break and then you know, talk about what the rest of this big rotation might look like. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. 
BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ed Davis. I think the place to start with Ed Davis is by really hammering home that he's a center. I know the Wolves had no power forwards when they traded for him, and I think that made people think he's going to be a power forward on this team. I just don't think that's the case at all. It would be very weird if a guy who has exclusively played center for the past three years came to small ball Minnesota, right, and then all of a sudden started playing power forward. According to cleaning the glass, 100% of his minutes last year in Utah were at center. The year before that, 100% of his minutes in Brooklyn were at center. And then the year before that, in Portland, 99% of his minutes were at center. We always do the Minnesota-Portland parallel, right? Well, Ed Davis played next to Yusuf Nurkic for 11 minutes that year. 11 of Yusuf Nurkic's 2,088 minutes. With Davis, I think the thing to picture here is the Noah Vonley role from last season. Cat's backup if he plays at all. And with no Gorgie Jang in the mix this year, I, I think that cut into Vonley's role, and I think it's going to be a bigger role. There's going to be more space there at the backup center position. I think Saunders is going to ask Davis to be a sound backline defender on the defensive end and make his presence felt offensively be by being an offensive rebounding threat. Ed Davis's best on-court skill is his offensive rebounding. And and if he can be solid defensively in the way, you know, Gorky and Vonley will were there, you definitely have room for a player who could be more impactful. Moving on to Jared Vanderbilt. There was definitely a couple weeks there back in September <laughs> where we were making Jared Vanderbilt a thing. And I like Jared Vanderbilt. I'm just saying, if he's going to be playing center, he just can't really be a rotation thing. Cat's going to play like 34 minutes a game, right? So that leaves 14 minutes for Davis and Vanderbilt and whoever as backup center. And I just got to think that Davis has first dibs on those minutes. So for, you know, the Vanderbilt Commodores out there, you're probably thinking, well, why doesn't he just play power forward? I, I hear you. I mean, are we having the what we would do conversation or what we would think or what we think they're going to do conversation? And it's the whole, you know, what is a power forward in Minnesota? And and really, we got to We got to nail home that there are just different types of archetypes for that position and they use them differently. I, I see it as three different things, three different types of power forwards, and they each have different priorities. One, we talked about the Joshua Kogi power forward. I think this is a bit, a bit role, but it's kind of adding another wing that's sort of square pegged into a situation, a role that allows the team to play very fast and very versatile. It's just super small ball with four guys you think as wings and then cat. One of those guys, probably a Kogi, the power forward, that type of guy. Then there's the Wancho power forward, which I think is the preference. Um, there's a little more size there. And then there's speed and shooting ability, right? I think Covington was kind of this. Lehman kind of is too. It's it seems to be their preferred archetype of power forward. 
But then there's also the Jordan Bell roll. Let's call it the four and a half. And this is where Vanderbilt could come in. A guy, you know, who packs a little bit more of a punch, a guy who can play fast, a guy who could screen and roll to the rim, and a guy who you feel comfortable with switching out on the perimeter defensively. I do think Vanderbilt could fill this role. But again, we haven't seen that role to be prioritized by Saunders in his rotations or by Gerson Rosas in, in his acquisitions. I, it, it sounds weird because it's the more traditional power forward, but in this system, a Vanderbilt type of power forward has been more of a gimmick. You know, Bell rarely played, and when he did, it was almost always next to Cat. Will Vanderbilt get minutes here? Sure, he could. But I'm just saying, if we're going off of what Saunders and Rosas did last season, these guys, players like Jared Vanderbilt, are more fives than they are fours. And for for Vanderbilt, I, I just think that means he gets pretty buried at the beginning of the season. I I just unless that bell roll, that four and a half, is bigger than it was last year, I don't really see the path to minutes. You know bearing some sort of injury or, or whatever COVID violation. And those will probably happen too. So I think he's going to play, but I just don't think it's going to be in the initial set rotation. The third guy Saunders brought up, or I guess it was the sixth guy, but the third center, if we're going off of his list was Nas Reed. That was the final guy he named and Nas Reed. A lot of people came to like, I thought he was interesting. Definitely a diamond in the rough found, you know, undrafted, um, but but Nasrid is just the discount cat option, right? It's he can do the things cat can do offensively, and that he can play that top of the key five role where if he gets the ball, he can shoot it quickly. But the discount cat role is 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 mainly a role for a guy in the G League. It's that job is to help the system for the Iowa Wolves mirror what the Minnesota Timberwolves are doing. I mean, could we be surprised and, you know, and Nas gets in the rotation? Sure, I'm not trying to – I don't know. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying I, I don't think without injuries or COVID violations that, that he – that Reed, you know, sees the floor, um, at least to start the year. And speaking of COVID protocols, Reed hasn't been able to pra- participate in the first two days of team practices and training camp either. So, I you know, I would just be surprised if we see uh, much from him anytime soon. I, 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 it's unclear whether or not, you know, he or Wancho have, I don't have had tested positive. I think it's mostly just a, a travel thing where, you know, they have to, they can't do group settings until after five days or whatever it is. And the third guy who's, who, who wasn't named, um, by Saunders, but also, um, has not been able to participate is Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Um, but I, I, think he's another big we consider in this mix here of those six guys let's put let's put RHJ in there as the as the seventh guy I I think you know for two reasons Saunders didn't bring him up um it's not that he's a wing or a guard or anything uh Hollis Jefferson just doesn't have a guaranteed contract I think that's part of it and then he hasn't participated so I'm not surprised that Saunders hasn't brought up a guy who hasn't participated for me with Hollis Jefferson um I think he's another big output in that Jordan Bell, Jared Vanderbilt, you know, four and a half box. I know he's not very tall. He's listed at six, seven, six, five and a half without shoes. But he's also a center in this system, I think. Um, for Toronto last season, he played 80% of his minutes at power forward and 15% at center. And the year before in Brooklyn, 22% of his minutes at center. 
So, you know, maybe he's a guy who can lean a little bit more for, but this is a system who leans, you know, up, right? If, if anything, um, yeah, I'm not trying to be the fun police saying these guys aren't going to play. I'd, I'd like them to play. I, I think they should play. If it were me, I'd prioritize defense a little bit more. And, and you know, I, I think with that, I'd come to the conclusion that you got to find rotations where Vanderbilt and or Hollis Jefferson play some four. And, and you know, who knows? I, I'm not predicting it, but maybe having, you know, numerous guys on the roster that kind of fit that Jordan Bell archetype suggests that there'll be a bigger role there this season. You know, we'll just have to see. And then the one last little Biggs-related, you know, tidbit I just wanted to throw in um, because I'd be lying if whatever is going on in Houston doesn't have me thinking about P.J. Tucker. I mean, right, we could just skip the whole Kogi and the P.J. Tucker role and get the real thing. I don't know. I mean, if we're playing the hypothetical trade game, Tucker makes just under $8 million, meaning the Wolves would have to send out at least $6.8 million to bring back Tucker. You can put the salaries together however you want to do that. Um, the Wolves do have $1.4 million of space below the tax right now, so they conceivably could work out that package um, where they take back a million more than they send out and still say, uh, stay under the tax. You know, if whatever, if a Houston completely blows up and they make some sort of trade, that's not the most likely outcome. And I, I'll say that I think we're going to have news about Jordan McLaughlin soon, and then that remaining $1.4 million of space is going to go to him. But Tucker's, you know, Tucker's a name to you know, to keep on our mind. If if not for an example of a, another type of big, but because the Wolves, Rosas has shown to pursue guys that he, you know, just because he misses out on them at one trade window, he he goes back after them the next one. So who knows? Maybe Tucker's a deadline move. We'll see. That's all I've got for you today. Um, I will be back with Britt later in the week. We're going to do uh, a two-part episode to, to get our final thoughts on record before the, the preseason starts, which will kind of you know change everything, but we want to get that out there. And we're going to do two parts because I'm now, as maybe you've noticed, I'm, I'm keeping these episodes a little bit shorter, under an hour, and you know Britt and I can't seem to ever do less than 90 minutes. So look for part one of that with myself and Britt Robson on Wednesday evening and then part two will come out on, on Friday morning until then um, again just thank you for, for sticking with this all the support I'm Dane till later in the week how I'm feeling man I hope it never stop yeah green and hot so you can find me in the crowd yeah yeah don't let standards ever ever bring you down yeah hope you dancing like nobody else around yeah